0: It is one of our pleas, Father, it is one of our cries that we would have more love for Christ. That as we come and open your word, we desire to know Christ and him crucified. We desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we might love him more. We might worship you through him more. We love others more because of your love for us that we find in Christ. Father, help us. May your spirit move to have us grow in our love for Christ as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Good morning, guests. This week I had occasion to be reading in Romans and it struck me that I, I thought I would just encourage us with something that encouraged me, something that maybe you've seen before or I've seen before, but I think it's important to be reminded of. In Romans chapter 5, the first 21 verses, Paul talks about our, talks about our righteousness, our justification being in Christ, that um, we are saved by his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. We are saved by Christ, and we are justified by Christ. And that's what he spends chapter 5 talking about. And then at the beginning of chapter 6, he he turns and starts to talk about, uh, instead of the uh, eternal life uh, that we have in Christ, he talks about... Um, the abundant life that we live now, the joyful earthly life that we live now and how we ought to live that life. From He goes from talking about justification to, to practically talking about sanctification, how to grow in holiness. And he says this in chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So we no longer be enslaved to sin. we know that we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ and we believed into Christ, that we then, our old self died with him. And was crucified with him. We are no longer enslaved to be enslaved to sin. For One who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ. So it's true that justification, and eternal life, is in Christ Jesus. And then when we are in Christ Jesus, then as we live our lives, we are now in Christ, and we are dead to sin, and we are alive to Christ. These are just statements of fact. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and from your members to God and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is such a great reminder that the power, the power that we have and the motivation that we have to stop sinning is Christ. The power that you have, brothers and sisters, to stop sinning, the power is Christ. And the motivation that we have, brothers and sisters, to stop sinning is Christ. He is our power to stop sinning and He is our motivation to stop sinning. If you're finding yourself struggling with sin, seemingly not having having victory over it, I can assure you, your motivation is not Christ. Your motivation is something different. Because when your motivation is Christ, given that you have the power of Christ, then you will have victory over sin. Not perfection, but victory. Just look in your life if you're struggling with sin. And you really want to stop it. Is the motivation to quit Christ? Or something about you or... Someone else in your life. Is the power you're looking to. To stop sinning Christ. Or is it some other mechanism. That you hope to use. Some some new year's resolution. Or some some plan. Or some, some structure. Or something that isn't Christ. Our power. And our motivation. To stop sinning. Is found in Christ. So we are to stop sinning in and through the power of Christ, for the glory of Christ. Amen? Okay, turn your Bibles to Luke, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Now, in the travels of Jesus, as they're being chronicled by Luke, Jesus has just been asked to leave, remember, the the east side of the Sea of Galilee, the land of the Gadarenes, a Gentile land. He's just been asked to leave by them. He had healed a demoniac who had thousands of demons that were controlling him. Jesus had delivered him from these, had sent the Demons into a herd of two thousand pigs who plunged to their death, and this Gentile land did not want this Jesus, this man, to be healing this demoniac. The the power they 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 would rather have had their wealth, their pigs, than they would have the healing of a man. And so they asked him to leave. And so he left. He left. They, they wanted their $400,000 worth of pigs more than they wanted the deliverance of one man. And we looked at last week, and we'll remember, I hope always, that Christ valued one man's soul over 2,000 pigs. Amen. So they ask him to depart, and he, he does, and he heads back to Capernaum in the land of Galilee that was his home base, if you remember, for this, this part of his ministry, this year and a half or so ministry he's doing in Galilee. So, this is where we pick up today. So, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, I'll be reading Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had as only daughter an only daughter about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she shall be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. She got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. You may be seated. I know I say this often. I think I do anyway. But preparing for this Lord's Day preaching was one of the best weeks ever for me. There is so much inside of this passage of scripture this passage of scripture it's given quite a bit of ink in the Bible it's covered by all three gospel writers and there's quite a few um, verses that are that are given to this this happening these two miracles compared we're going to be looking at the next couple of weeks anyway that these two miracles that that happen and and comparing the two of them there is so much again inside of these verses that I may even tangent as we go because there's more in my mind than is on my notes. And, and, and as we go through always, uh, I, I hope that, that we will grow in our grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we actually will, will see Christ. We'll see God for who he is. We'll see salvation. We'll see, we will see faith. We'll see the things that, that will have us to know Christ more and to, to love him more so, Jesus had been run out of this Gentile territory of the Gadarenes. They didn't want him there. They wanted their wealth. They didn't care about the health of that one lunatic. So, to the land of Galilee, Jesus returns and serves. Verse 40, Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Remember when Jesus left the east side of the Sea of Galilee where he had been doing ministry to go to the west side. One of the reasons possibly was to get some rest away from all of this ministry he was doing. He was being followed by large crowds. He was, being, um, he had, he was in great demand. Now, as his following was growing and, his, and the people that were fond of him were growing, remember, so was the, the hatred of the Pharisees. And so was the, the religious elite hating him more and more. Uh, but, but he has this huge crowd, and it says that when he returned the the crowd the Aklas, they welcomed him they they glad you're back they were it says they were all and by the way, this is a place where the word all doesn't mean all it does it but it means all types of people, this huge crowd of people, a lot of folks from the Galilean side of the Sea of Galilee. We're waiting for him. This word waiting. Prastakio. Wait with anxiety. To expect. To anticipate. So they were they were welcoming him in because they had been waiting for him. Not just, you know, not. this This word is, it means they're anxiously awaiting his arrival. He had left to go to the other side. They didn't know if he was coming back or not. He had been doing all these wonderful things in their land. And they were waiting expectantly. Like like when a a dad comes home from a long trip. Dad's been gone for a week and the kids and the wife, they're there waiting for him with signs. And they're so excited to see him home. I remember one time when I was a kid. One of the most traumatic experiences of my life because I remember it well. I was probably five or six years old. I don't remember. I was a fairly independent young man, as you might imagine. And I told my mother she was fine to go to the store without me. And she might have been gone. She says 30 minutes. I think it was 30 hours. But she was gone what seemed like a long time for me. And I remember how anxious I was for her to get home. Like this is my mom. This who feeds me and takes care of me. And I was so anxious. I I have this picture of these people, like maybe even with watchmen out there, looking for him to come back and waiting to tell everybody he's here because they're anxiously waiting for him to return. Now, are they waiting for him to return because they want to serve him as their king? No, they're waiting him to return because he has been serving them. He has been benefiting them. He's, he, they're, they're waiting anxiously. He's been healing diseases. He's been casting out demons. He's been preaching and teaching with authority. And they, they, they want him back to minister to them. They aren't interested in having him back to serve him as king. They were anxious to be served. Matthew twenty twenty five. But Jesus called to him, to him the apostles and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would, would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve others. That is what he had been doing in Galilee with compassion and patience. He had been serving with, with other mindedness. Jesus' whole life, his whole ministry was about others. It was other minded. He would, he would meet their physical needs, he would give them foodstuffs. You know, ultimately, he would, he would serve those that he came to save with his life on a cross. And I think something that we ought to consider right here is, are people people anxious for you to return whenever you go away? And if they're anxious for you to return, is it because you're going to serve them? We ought to be like Christ in serving others, yes? Look, this will sound, I don't know what it'll sound like. When Cal's gone, I miss him for a lot of reasons. Okay? One of the reasons I miss him is he serves me and my family well. That's a good thing. That's a godly thing. That's a Christ-like thing. We ought to be people that, dads, when you come home, it's because your wife and your children know he's here to serve. Because he's Christ-like. Most of us can relate to my five-year-old story about our mothers because our mothers do serve us. They're gone. We miss them. If you're a mom that can be gone too long and they're not missed, serve better. Okay. So, Jesus returned. The crowd welcomed him. They've been anxiously waiting for him. They're all there. This huge throng of folks are waiting for him to return. So next we see Jairus' plea. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And, verse 41, and. Now there's a word that is not in our translations, but the word there is eduo. And the word means behold, look, listen, pay attention prompters of attention to emphasize the following statement. This word, behold, that we actually see translated often. It's here in the Greek. It's just not here in your Bible. It's, it's, hey, pay attention. Luke says, pay attention. What I'm about to tell you is pretty extraordinary. So he starts by saying, look, pay attention to what's happening here. It's like a signboard. Take notice. Something extraordinary. And there came a man named Jairus. Now, first thing we see about this guy, Jairus, besides his name, is that he was a man. In the Jewish culture, men had higher wimp status than women. So remember, we're looking at two miracles compared. One of the things I'm going to be doing regularly in this, in this time is looking at the two, the two main characters of these miracles, minus Jesus, of course, and, and some of the characteristics about them. Well, Jairus was a man. Now, he was not just any old man either. It says he was a ruler of the synagogue, arkad ho, sunagoge. He was a ruler, a commander, the leader, the chief, the one who ruled or governed. He was the top of the pecking order of that local assembly or that local gathering, that local synagogue. So Jairus was a very important man. He would have been honored and respected. He'd have been wealthy. Remember the synagogue and how important it was to Jews. The synagogue was not only their place of worship on the Sabbath, but it was also the place throughout the week, kind of their community center. Everything kind of emanated out of the synagogue. And so the man who ran the synagogue, would—he in Jewish culture, he'd have been, I don't know, more important than a mayor. I mean, he would have been the man. Jairus would have been the lay leader in this Jewish community. And all that would have come with that. Wealth, and he wouldn't really need much from anyone else because it would all be there for him because he respected and honored. Now, remember the last time Jesus was in Capernaum in the synagogue, in chapter 6 of Luke? On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so and the hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So this is the synagogue in Capernaum that Jesus had been run out of, basically. They were upset with him because he had healed on the Sabbath, and they were, they were wondering how they could harm him, what they could do to him. Well, Jairus would have been the, the leader. He was not the scribes the Pharisees described, but he was the lay leader that would have been at that synagogue. So here he is, not in need of anything, wealthy, well-respected, really needing nothing, honored, And he'd have every reason to stay away from this Jesus guy. That's why Luke says, hey, listen, pay attention. This is kind of a, a kind of a big deal. This well-respected, wealthy, uh, leading man in the Jewish life in Capernaum who had no need of anything from Jesus and actually had a reason to be away from him because of how he had been offended them in the synagogue last time he was there. His life was good. He needed nothing. This man needed nothing from Jesus of Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. What would he need possibly from him? And yet we see this. Luke says, hey, check this out. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue there in Capernaum, falling at Jesus' feet. He implored him to come to his house. Jairus, this this important, needing nothing, self-sufficient, honored, wealthy man, powerful man, falling, peepto, to prostrate oneself before, to bow down. Get the picture. Jesus comes back onto shore on this side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a bunch of folks there to greet him. And as he's there being greeted by a bunch of folks who are all waiting for him to come back, the first person who interacts with him is one of the big, big wigs of the city. And he walks up to him and he tells him, go away. No, he walks up to him and he falls down at his feet. This man who would need nothing this ruler of the synagogue, he falls down at the feet of Jesus. And he implored him, parakaleo, to ask for, to request, to plead for, to appeal to, to earnest request, repeal. He pled with Jesus to come to his house. This man, I mean, picture Elon Musk. I don't know, he's not religious, but Needs nothing. And here he is falling at the feet of Jesus when he returns. Begging him to come to his house. Why? Why would he be begging him? This man who needed nothing was actually acting very needy. He's pleading with Jesus to come to his house. Why? For he had... An only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. This man, Jairus, this man who had it all, he had a 12 year old daughter. And not only did he have a 12 year old daughter, it was his monogonese. It was his only daughter. It was. Sophia's age, Elon's age, and some other of you 12 year olds. This is a young, this is a this man who needed nothing is at the feet of Jesus, begging him to come to his house because he's got his only daughter, and his daughter is dying. And he shows great humility. He doesn't come and demand Jesus come. He doesn't come and tell him what he's going to do. He comes and he falls at his feet and he pleads with Jesus. To come to his house. Because his daughter. Is dying. He's desperate. This. This. Well respected. Honored. Ruling man. Seemingly in need of nothing. He comes with humility. And hope. In Jesus power. Pleads with Jesus to come. And Jesus rebuked him. And Jesus said, I'm only here for the poor and needy. Is that what happened? No. As Jesus went. So, here is this need-nothing man. Like I was. I mean, that was a lie. But as far as I would convince you back then, I needed nothing. I had it all. This is true. This is true. This man is desperate. His daughter is dying. It's happening quickly. He had nowhere else to turn. And he falls at the feet of Jesus. He submits himself or prostrates himself in front of him. And he humbly pleads with him to come to his home. As Jesus went. Jesus then went with this ruler of the synagogue of Capernaum where he had been ran out of. Remember, he he goes with this man. He goes with Jairus to go to his home to help his dying daughter. We're going to see again, but Jesus is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't turn away the man the person who has it all when they see their desperate need when they're without help or hope but notice he falls down at Jesus feet and pleads with him he's broken and without hope so as Jesus went the people pressed around him the word there. Remember in, in Luke five we had that description of, of they were crowding in on him when he was by the Sea of Galilee and he noticed some boats and he got back under the boats. So the word there is a much softer word than is used here. This word here, as they say the people pressed, subnego, it's choke. It's the word that it causes plants to die is the way the word is used also. It means to crowd around, to press against to crowd around to the point that one can hardly breathe again this is a this is a very strong word think about some place you've been where there was a throng of people just rubbed up against each other trying to get somewhere or something like uh, uh, Black Friday at Walmart when they used to sell only a certain number of TVs and people would literally fight and push and shove to get to it. Or think about G three conference when everybody huddles outside the door and all pressed together to get to that front row seat. Think about if Elvis walked in the room. This is what you've got. You've got this. This. We need to get this picture because it shows the it shows what's happening here and how this this woman and and Gyrus are interacting. I mean, there's all these people when Gyrus does this. The humility it took for Jairus, this big man on campus, to, to humble himself in that way in front of all these folks. But there's this huge crowd as he's going that is pressing in on him, making it even hard to breathe. So, and in this group was a woman with a plan, the woman's plan. As Jesus is going with the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, this wealthy, rec- well-respected ruling man, there, there's an interruption. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Ruses Haima. The loss of blood through menstrual bleeding. This is a woman that for 12 years had been bleeding profusely. She had had, a, had menstrual bleeding. For 12 years. Now, I think it's interesting. 12 years, Jairus had had his daughter. The joy of having a daughter that he loved very much, obviously. And for the same 12 years, this woman had been bleeding profusely. What would have been the byproduct of her ailment? Well, she would have been ostracized, wouldn't she? She would have been unclean, not only should she not be the ruler of the synagogue, she would have been desynagogued. with her blood problem. She would have been unclean and kept away. She would have been ashamed. You see the contrast of these two people that come to Jesus seeking his mercy? You have this this woman who had who was who had been for twelve years having this ailment that would cause her to be ashamed and ostracized and kept away from. She would have been very weak, for sure. And she's in this throng of people. Again, she's she's one of thousands or hundreds of thousands or thousands of thousands of people that are all clamoring around Jesus, and she's in this crowd of people. It's such a tightly compacted group you can hardly breathe. And here's this frail woman. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she had spent every dollar she had with physicians trying to take care of this vaginal bleeding. She had, she had n- no money left. Everything she had, her living had been spent on physicians. And she could not be healed by anyone. The word there for healed is therapueo. And I think it matters these words. You'll see therapueo and soso, and I'll point it out because she was looking for a physical healing for this discharge she had, this bloody problem. The therapueo, where we get the word therapy, to heal, to cure, to take care of. She had spent all of her money looking to be cured of her discharge of blood and not any doctor could help her. I think it's important that we try to think about what, what that would be like. I mean, some of us had ailments for a long time. Okay, None of us have spent all our money trying to fix it. But we've had ailments, some of us for a long time and you can't get rid of them and And it's kind of debilitating and it can be frustrating. And this woman had had this going on, and and in a way that would have, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like a leopard. Like, this is a bad thing she's got, and nobody wants to be around her. In Mark's gospel, we have a little more detail about her attempts to be cured. It says in Mark 5, and who had suffered much under many physicians. She had suffered under many physicians. And it's been all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Not only was she not getting better, it was getting worse. And she had suffered under many physicians. So these doctors and doctors back then are different than doctors now. They were oftentimes religious people as well, like the elders in a church. But these doctors, the the, the Talmud had ways of treating menstrual discharge, excessive menstrual discharge. The Talmud actually talks about Ways to deal with that. So some of these things would have been going on in her life for the last 12 years. And they were expensive. Things like boiling various expensive items like Persian onions and saffron. And you would boil these, these items in wine. And then you would hold the contents once it was boiled in wine. And the doctor would say, cease your discharge. So she would have spent money on things like that. Rubbing flour all over the lower half of her body is something else she would have probably tried to do. And nothing was fixing her. Something else is she would, they would fetch barley grain from the feces of a white mule. So they would dig barley grains out of the excrement of a white mule and then hold that in their hands all day. And if the bleeding stopped, then they'd hold it for three more days so the bleeding would stop forever. So these are the kinds of things she would have been doing. And not only was it not getting better, as we might guess, it was getting worse. That wasn't helping. And she was desperate. She tried everything. She suffered many things at the hands of the doctors, not the least of which all of her money was gone trying to get rid of this, this discharge. There was a woman who had discharged of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She was filled with shame. She had been made an outcast. She was poor now. She had nothing. She was the opposite of Jairus in most every way. She came in the middle of the crowd secretly. Remember, she's in this throng of people. She makes no, as we'll see, she makes no big, bold proclamation. Because she's ashamed and embarrassed and weak and poor. But what she has the same thing as Jairus is, she is desperate. They're both extremely desperate. And while her circumstances are different than Jairus's, her desperation is equal to. And again, God is no respecter of persons. Everyone in here, no matter where you are in a social status, no matter where you are, male or female, if you're desperate... For Christ to heal you. He will heal you. Those who God gives eyes to see. Their hopelessness. Jesus. Heals. But what's true is. Desperation. And knowing that. There's nothing else to turn to. No one else to turn to except for Christ Jesus. She was hopeless. She was out of money. Doctors couldn't help her. So, verse 44, she came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. The fringe of his garment, the tassels that would have hung down from the the cloak he would have worn, which was very Jewish. And so she... Touched the fringe of his garment. That word is stronger than touch. It's hapto. And it means to hold on to, to seize, to grasp. Touch with relatively firm contact. This hopeless, sick, poor woman grabbed on to Jesus' garment. She literally was clinging to Jesus in desperation. You see, these other people were pressed against. Lots of bumps and touches, as Peter's going to bring up. But this woman, this woman grabbed and held on to. She clung to. She was literally clinging to Jesus in desperation. Why was she doing that? Look at Mark's Gospel again. Mark 5, 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus. She had heard the reports about Jesus. She had heard about this Jesus of Nazareth who was displaying and proclaiming the power of God who was teaching and preaching the kingdom of heaven. And who had been going around Galilee healing people of their diseases. And so she had heard about this Jesus and who he was and what he was doing. Came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, here's what she came up to him having said in herself. If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She had belief. She had faith. She believed in who Christ is. He is God. And the word she uses for made well here is so-so. She knew that she could be saved. She could be made whole in this person Jesus. And she believed all she needed to do was touch him. She had faith in the power of Jesus to save her from her hopelessness. She believed in the power of Jesus to heal. Matthew 9.21, the same word she uses there. So Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house, the ruler of the synagogue, to heal, to minister to his dying 12-year-old daughter, his only daughter. And as he's going, the crowd's pressed in around him, so tight you can hardly breathe, this throng of people. And there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, who's without hope and poor, and ostracized and she's in this crowd of folks and she's kind of incognito and she she knows that if she can just get to this jesus and touch him that god he is god and he can heal her she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased ceased for the fifth week in a row or whatever it is, let's not pass over what we read there. Twelve years of uncontrollable menstrual bleeding. Everything she could try, all the money she could spend, all the doctors she could see, and she's not better. And in faith, she touches King Jesus... And she, the bleeding stops like that. Peter's mom, he rebukes the fever. The fever. Demons, thousands of them. He commands the wind and the wave, zip it and it stops. We've thought about that. Think about that. Think about wind and waves just stopping. Because he said it. Think about just a touch. And this 12-year bleeding problem stops immediately. No intervention of anything. The power of God to save. The power of God to heal. You ever been hitting the nose and blood just flowing profusely? Try just to touch something and have it stop. Twelve years of bleeding, nothing to do about it, can't stop it. Reaches out in faith to touch Christ and it stops immediately. 37 years of misery. Chasing after all kinds of things. A sin nature that was out of control and couldn't be controlled. And Christ touches me and it's done. No more alcohol. Listen, so this woman, missions accomplished. She she had a plan to be healed of her bloody discharge that she'd been having for 12 years. She knew all she had to do was touch Jesus and his power would be sufficient. She had reached out and clung to Christ, literally, and the bleeding stopped. No, no attention drawn to her. No mocking, no ridicule as she approached. Just very incognito. She reached out and touched Christ and she was healed. Mission accomplished. No shame, no attention. Finally, it's finished. Next we see the woman is outed. She knew it was healed. Jesus knew, as we'll see, that she had been healed. But now he didn't just want to heal her. He wanted to give her hope. And Jesus said... Who was it that touched me? Remember now, more people than this, but all crowded, all huddled together, barely walking along. You're in the line at G3. You know, you're, you're in the line at the, 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 the Walmart on Black Friday. You're getting bumped into all over the place. But he stops. He says, whoa, he's on his way to take care of Jairus' daughter. He stops and says, who was it that touched me? This woman did not confess having touched him. When all denied it, no one said it was me. And again, grabbed on to, seized. She knew it was her, but she did not want to draw any attention to herself. She was, again, she had been an outcast. She was ashamed. She was ridiculed and mocked for years due to, her, due to her uncleanness. And by the way, leave it to Peter. Peter, who had a bad habit of Correcting Jesus. Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Many people have touched you. What do you mean who has touched you? Many people have touched you. But Jesus said, someone touch me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. This blew me away this week. He's in this crowd of folks. And this desperate woman has clung to him by faith. Knowing that he could heal her and save her. He has no human knowledge of what's going on. There's all this thing going around him. And, and there's no way to know who's actually grabbed onto you. And he says... Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. He felt his power going into this woman. The power of God is not impersonal. We don't have a God who could care less. You know, when, when God moves in us, salvifically or even sanctifyingly, we feel it, yes? Like there's something we experience when God touches us, certainly when he saves us. There's something that we experience, and what I found so incredible was God experiences it also. This was a two way interchange of a of a of a connection of this woman touching Jesus and his power flowing out and him knowing that he had just healed someone and he cared he wanted to know who had touched him this This woman did not receive the power of Christ impersonally. He knew she had touched him. He felt the flow. We don't have an impersonal God. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. So it's becoming clear that Jesus is not going to keep moving on until somebody fesses up. This woman who had clung to him by faith sees that he wants to know. Who has touched him? And so she speaks up. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she no longer could be incognito, not be noticed. No longer could she bring her shame and her brokenness and her desperation in a way that wasn't public. Remember, Jairus had gone up very publicly. Well, she wanted to get it done quietly. and She was a woman and she was a poor woman and she was a disgraced woman. But when the woman saw she was not hidden, she knew Jesus wanted to know who touched him. She came trembling and falling down before him. Here it is again. prospito, to prostrate oneself before someone, implying supplication. Third person who's bowed down to him recently. You had the demoniac bowing down to him over in the country of the Gerasenes. You had Jairus bowing down to him. And now you have Jesus or this woman bowing down, clinging to him. She'd been healed of disease and she's now bowing down to him. All desperate. God is no respecter of persons. Lunatics, rich, poor, men, women. And she declared in, in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. She gave a testimony. Here's why I touched him. I touched him. I clung to him because I knew that he was God and I knew that he could save me and heal me. Think about the, think about the other people around there. Remember, they're all huddling up because they're really happy he's back. They're welcoming back and they're all, they're all huddled around. They're clamoring around so tight and they're all bumping into one another and maybe even to him. But she says, no, no, I grabbed him and held on to him because I know he's God and I know he can heal me and save me. Y'all just want to bump into him. I'm going to cling to him. This is what we do, right? We cling to Christ. We always hope to bump into Him. She, she gave testimony that she had reached out in faith for God's mercy and healing, and she had grabbed onto this Jesus of Nazareth. That was her testimony. Her testimony was, I had heard of the kingdom of God. I had heard of this Jesus who was preaching the kingdom of heaven. I had heard of this Jesus who was healing people, who was teaching in the synagogues and was was casting out demons. And I knew that if I could only touch him, that I could be saved. That was the testimony that she gave to all of these people. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She was healed, restored in the sight of all of these people. These people that had shunned her. These people that had ostracized her. These people that had looked down upon her as unclean. These these people who had watched all of her money go away. Frivolously and hopelessly. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus not only physically healed her, he saved her spiritually. Why do I say that? He said to her daughter, this is the only time ever that Jesus addresses a woman as daughter. John one twelve but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. She had received him, she had believed in all that he was, and she had become a child of God now don't 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 have this get us mixed up in our theology. look she didn't repent of her sin and put her faith and trust in christ and and know that he was risen and trusted He had ascended. Well, all that hadn't happened. But what she knew is what she had heard about Him in His ministry of Galilee and what He had said. Entry into the kingdom of heaven was through Him. He was God. And she had believed in Him. She had believed on Him for her healing. She had received Him for who He said He was and what He could do. And he called her daughter. Then he said, your faith, your pistis, your pistis, your faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Not ourselves, but a gift of God that no one can boast. God had given her the faith, had opened her eyes to believe on Christ. And that faith that she had, as given by God, had made her so-so had made her well. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Saved. Go in peace. Remember she had said to herself, I only touch his garment, I will be made well. He said, your faith, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Irene." The peace, this is what Jesus regularly says. Peace I leave with you. This is, this is what it is. This is what it says in Romans five one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. She had obtained peace with God through Jesus Christ by her faith in who he is. And he told her in front of all of these people, all of these people that are watching, Jairus included, and his traveling party, daughter, child of God, your faith, your belief in who I am and what I can do, it has made you saved. Now go in peace. You will now have peace with God. Shalom in the Hebrew. What all these Jews were wanting... He's telling her she has obtained by faith in him. I came across this. Maybe I did. There it is. A poem from an unknown pastor, from an unknown congregant, a lady who had listened to him preach this portion of Scripture. Listen to what her poem says. Who touched me? Twas the voice of the Master. And the woman's heart beat faster and faster. Trembling, she came and bowed her head. I touched thee, Lord, was what she said. But the Master answered, Go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole this day. This woman was trembling. She was afraid. She was being called out for having touched him. She says, I touched thee, Lord. And the master answered, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole this day. Have you touched me? I heard it. Which was the voice of the master. Some of you in here today, Have you touched me? You're being asked by God, Christ, have you touched him? And oh, my heart beat faster and faster. You came with the throng to God's house today. But I felt not your touch as you went away. I was ashamed and bowed my head. Reach out a bit farther next time, he said. If you are without hope, if you know that you are a sinner separated from God, reach out and cling to Christ. And if you haven't clung to Him, reach a little farther. Christ is ready to save. He will save you. You have no hope. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. This woman had no hope. And she reached out and she clung to Christ, believing that He could save her. And He did. And He will. Some of you have heard this so many times and you, oh, I want to be saved. Look to Christ. Turn from your sin and reach out to Christ and cling to Him. And you will be saved. Have the faith of this woman who had tried everything. Have you tried everything, and nothing seems to get you where you want to be? Christian, cling to Christ. Reach farther. Who touched me? Twas the voice of the master and the woman's heart beat faster and faster. Trembling, she came and bowed her head. I touched thee, Lord, was what she said. The master answered, Go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole this day. Have you touched me? I heard it. Twas the voice of the master. And oh, my heart beat faster and faster. You came with the throng to God's house today. But I felt not your touch as you went away. You came and you didn't reach out to Christ. You should be ashamed and bow your head. Reach out a bit farther next time, he said. Christ is there, willing to save. He is your only hope. Your condition is far worse than 12 years of bleeding if you don't know Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of the power of, your power that is in Christ that can be accessed by those who would believe on him and reach out and cling to him. Father, I thank you for eyes to see that has had your people to reach out and be saved. I pray today would be a day where Those who are dying like this twelve year old girl in the story. Those who are suffering and like the woman with the bleeding and like Jairus who had everything in the world but no way to heal his daughter. Father, help us to see Christ as the salvation of souls. As the reconciliation with you. As our Lord and our Savior. We pray in His name. Amen. Closing thought. The better factors of these two miracles are dramatically different. But one thing was the same. The answer was to be found at the feet of Jesus. The one who controls diseases, fevers, demons, wind and waves, blood flow, and even the dead is the only place of hope. He is ready to pour out his healing power on any who will believe into him. This is the message of hope that we carry with us. Only believe and you will be saved. Brothers and sisters, the message of hope that we carry with us, that we can tell people, for sure, only believe and you will be saved. You believe on christ you will be saved this is the message of hope that we have to give so let's give that let's stand and sing all praise be to him on your handout all praise be to him all praise be to him on your handout